conspire with the progressives to disrupt and exploit the unstable situation. Now Johnny Rocket and Rayleigh Lightheart descend into the treacherous crony havens in an effort to find a corrupt and vile news outlet that is spreading false information to the public about liberty. After Johnny and Raylene's swift victory on the moon, they dispatch libertarian comedian Robbie Bernstein, armed with his humor, to Earth to discover the truth behind these claims. Robbie the Fire Bernstein, who is the host of Run Your Mouth, and junior host to Dave Smith on the popular libertarian podcast, Part of the Problem is in the heart of the editorial beast, alongside liberty advocate Jeff Berwick. Will Johnny and Raylene set the news straight? Will Robbie be able to find out who is part of the problem? Stay tuned to hear Robbie Bernstein on episode 44 on Blast Off with Johnny Rocket. Transmitting directly from the launch pad. Bringing blue collar to your cell tower. The rock and roll libertarian himself. It's time to blast off with Johnny Rocket. Hey, this is Blast Off with Johnny Rocket, and I'm here with my Ray Truth, Miss Rayleigh Lightheart. Hello. What's up, everybody? How's it going, Johnny? Good. Good. Yeah? Yeah, I've, I've been working on my computer for the last, like, two days. I know this is boring <laughs> And I, I know, I, I keep telling you not to talk about your computer I know, anymore. I love my computer. I'm a nerd when it comes to, like, tech. I love tech. Yeah. And everyone looks at me like, you should be working on a hot rod. And I'm like, yeah, I like that too. But, man, computers are just awesome because you can do so much with them. You know? <laughs> Speaking of nerds, we were, before the show, we were just talking to our guest about uh, what alignment you'd be, like, if it were D&D. Johnny, do you know what alignment you'd be in? Uh, definitely would be chaotic good. I'm I don't think even... you're that chaotic, actually. I think that you're kind of a routine-oriented dude, so I don't know. No, no, because, I mean, chaotic means, basically, I'm not lawful. I don't agree with the laws, generally speaking. And so... Yeah, it's what law you, like, it's what law that you subscribe to. So, technically, I mean, you could be lawful good, you know. Yes. Yeah, you don't... Maybe. You, you, you don't follow the rules like that either, though, no. We're, we're a bunch of uh, rebels, aren't we? Yeah, so I, I guess I would have to say chaotic good. Maybe yeah. even borderline chaotic neutral. Yeah. Maybe. Okay. Maybe. Well, playing a neutral character is really fun. You can go anywhere with it. I mean, my husband cannot do anything lawful because he wants to be able to do whatever he wants. Okay, so we now play. we've earned some major nerd points right now. Let's do it. Okay, so really quick, you were talking about I, okay, so don't spoil it for me because I have read the first three books of Game of Thrones. The books. Well, they're the best three books. Yeah. Okay, but I've only seen the first two seasons of, nice. or no, first three seasons of the show. And I'm just not going to watch it until it's all done. Smart. And then I'm going to buy the whole goddamn thing on Blu-ray and then sit there for like four or five days and then binge watch it. That's it. I think that's a lawful good thing to do. Uh, lawful. No, You're going to buy it on Blu-ray. No, so torn it like that might live in this house. I don't know. Well, no. I'm, the only reason I'm buying it, and I'm going to tell you why. I'm, the only reason I'm buying it is I just like having it. Like yeah. in its physical form. Yeah, it makes sense. I'm a collector of all I can say is, when you play the Game of Thrones, some is going to win. That's all I have to say. <laughs> all right. There you go. Okay, so laughter is the vital component of the human condition. To laugh is to live and to make brute force existence tolerable. Comedy is everywhere these days, from the Colbert Report to Saturday Night Live skits to political ads on YouTube. What's the relationship between politicians and the comedians who mock them and their policies? 
Can using comedy to be beneficial expand our ideology? Today, our guest is a comedian and podcaster. Robbie the Fire Bernstein, host of Run Your Mouth and co-host of Dave Smith on the popular libertarian program, Part of the Problem. Crowds have largely enjoyed Rob's quick jokes and ill-informed opinions. Other than that, Rob loves eating sandwiches and then complaining about how he shouldn't have eaten the sandwich. Okay, Raylene, prepare for liftoff. Copy that, Johnny. Covers, tie-downs, and grounding cables. Removed as required. Communications connected. Check. Preamps in the green. Check. Cold beer. Double check. Thrusters are hot. Raylene, are you ready to rock? All systems go, Johnny. Let's blast off with Robbie Bernstein! Welcome to the show, Robbie. Wow, man, that was a hell of an intro. Thank you. <laughs> rock and roll, man, rock and roll. Okay, so I'm going to be a total douchebag right now and ask the obvious, the most stupidest question ever because it's just, we have to do this. This is kind of part of the routine. You're a comedian. Why the f did you get into comedy? Like, why would you do this? Because obviously it doesn't pay well. And it must be, uh, no, seriously, I mean, it's like when people ask me, why did you get in the music? I don't know, because I'm an idiot? I don't know. It didn't pay worth It sucks. You work crazy hours. Only good thing about it is you can drink while you do it. I think that's the <laughs> only perk of being a comedian, a musician, etc. It's art. It's art. Yeah. What got you into this nonsense, sir? Well, that's so funny because I, I think you hit the two biggest reasons is that one, I definitely am an idiot, and two... Definitely like, yeah, I think you both have to be dumb and really like your drinking for it to be exciting. Um, <laughs> you have to live for something, man. Yeah, exactly. When I went into college, I was super interested in like radio broadcasting and kind of just comedy in general. But oh. then I was also a nice little Jewish kid. So I love my finance, my making money and like the idea of working on Wall Street. Uh -huh. So I, I went to college for that stuff. I got a degree in finance, but you know, a couple like hedge fund type jobs that I got, I, I didn't like it. I really like I was there and it just wasn't that interesting to me. So I was like, all right, this kind of sucks. Why don't we try that comedy thing I was always interested in? And uh, right. I just started hitting up open mics and you could just show up and do it. And it's the funnest thing ever. And you're right. It sucks. It doesn't pay well, but I just live for doing it and crafting material. Nice. Well, what's involved with getting stage time at an open mic? Because I don't think a lot of people understand the uh, how hard it is for a comedian to even get on stage, right? Yeah. So luckily I don't do too much open mic anymore, but I probably mm -hmm. did open mics for like seven years and it's the worst thing in the world. Yeah. You put in your time. <laughs> you just, you show up to a place, uh, at least in New York city, you show up to a place and it's a bunch of other comedians who are trying to also work on their stuff. So everyone's just kind of sitting on their phone, ignoring each other. You wait a while to go up and then finally you do your thing. Sometimes it's fun. Sometimes everyone's been there too long. They just kind of ignore you, but mm -hmm. you just keep getting up, keep getting better. And then eventually you start getting into the clubs and then you're in front of real crowds and it's a lot of fun. Wow. See, here's the thing. I know how you feel. I know the rush you get, especially if you really nail that out of the park, you know, it's a rush and it's, it's only people who are entertainers who understand this, that it's the best high ever. Like, getting drunk, getting stoned, getting a good response from an audience, man, that takes the cake every time. Mm -hmm. And it's such a rush when, you know, you do a good show 
And then all of a sudden, all these people come over and like, hey, sign this and want to talk to you. It's fun, man. And it, it really is fulfilling. But here's a question actually from our producer. And he wanted to know, what did you get involved with first, libertarianism or comedy? And, you know, how do they affect each other? Mm. So like, was it the libertarian ideas first and then you got into comedy or was it comedy and then you found people who were libertarian? Okay. Yeah, that's a fair question. I would say... I mean, I started doing comedy. I definitely didn't identify as libertarian, but I was even too dumb to know that that was a title or something that existed in the world. Sure. I will say that when I was in college, I wasn't like, you know, a traditional Democrat or Republican. Like neither of those titles really fit my ideas or philosophy in terms of what politics should be. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I would say, especially because, you know, as a finance guy, I really did kind of write papers and follow the last, you know, the housing bubble and the collapse there and really saw how much that was, you know, basically the government's money that created that whole problem. Mm -hmm. Basically, I didn't have your traditional politics, got into comedy Mm. and doing comedy. I met Dave Smith, who heralded me Murray Rothbard. And that's when I would say I became more of a traditional libertarian. Sexy. Right on, man. (laughs) Yeah. So talking about your material, uh, what process do you use to develop that stand-up comedy? And then now what you're doing is a little different than stand-up, obviously. You want to go ahead and explain that? Yeah, you're asking the difference between uh, doing stand-up in the podcast. Yes, sir. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, for stand-up, things have to be funny. Like, you really have to have jokes. And I got some jokes that have absolutely nothing to do with anything politics or just, Mm -hmm. you know... I have jokes just about drinking and dating and just being an idiot. So in that regard, comedy, it's got to be funny and it doesn't have to have an opinion. Podcast, especially with Dave, is the total opposite. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Okay, here's the other question then. Have you ever blanked on stage? Because I remember going up on stage and the only reason I'm trying to compare these two, it's the same thing. I think that as an entertainer, you have to get up in front of a lot of people and do and make them laugh or make them happy or whatever. Have you ever blanked? Because I have been there where I have forgotten lyrics. I've been on stage. I'm like, I don't know what the the songs that you wrote to the songs I wrote. Like, I'm like, Oh, (laughs) I'm looking around. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm bomb. So I just remember like doing the one verse that I remember over and over again. And I'm like, man, that's strong verse. But I mean, have you ever like improved it or have you ever had something really bad happen on stage? And how did you like overcome it? Okay. So firstly, I've done so much worse than blanking on stage. <laughs> I went spaced out on stage so bad. I started repeating the joke. I literally just told and finished. <laughs> <laughs> no. That would have been funny. I would have laughed. I'm telling you, <laughs> it was like you watched a disc player, like get stuck and just start skipping kind of thing. <laughs> I mean, I talk to the crowd a bunch. I'll comment on my jokes while I'm doing it. Like, I'm very in the moment. Uh That happens. I just kind of comment on it, make fun of myself, and then move on. But yeah, dude, I've totally forgotten jokes. Or sometimes I've had where you get up uh, like five times in the same night, Uh and you're like playing around with the order of your jokes. And like, I'll check in with the audience like, hey, guys, did I talk about this yet? And then just, no? All right, great. Let's get into that topic. Okay. So, yeah. Comedy's got that safety net that if you just kind of go up there and you're like, hey, man, I'm a goofball. Let's try and do this together. They're like, all right, I get that the, this kid's not professional. And that's part of... <laughs> you just got... It's part of your act. You make it. You improvise. Really quick story, man. I remember I got so on a show. I was just drinking like vodkas because usually, like I said, when you're performing at a bar or whatever, yeah. you get free drinks. That's your pay. That's your pay. That's like one of the perks, right? Yeah. And so I remember like I got so yeah, it's, it's awesome actually. It's great. And I remember I got so I was singing or something and I fell on my ass 
Like, oh. I felt on my back, and I just kept singing the song, and I was pretending like it was part of the act. Like, I just kept going with it. And it was bad. And then, like, the bass player's looking at me like, Billy's like, f- idiot. You know? I'm like, Billy? Yeah, he's like, f- <laughs> idiot. But, like, you have to kind of go with it. I mean, sometimes you just got to go. I mean, you just can't go, I'm an idiot, sorry. I mean, to me, it's like when you're like a badass rockabilly band with hot rods and flames and smoke and girls and pinups, you can't like go, hey, you know, you just got to own and keep driving on. I mean, I don't know, man, but like, what was your worst bombing story ever? Like, because every comedian has uh, one. I, so I, I got I got two that are equally horrifying, but one time I was bombing on stage so bad and it was in like this theater type setting. I want to say a hundred seats and, uh, bright like light in my eyes. So I couldn't even really see the audience. I couldn't interact with them much. And I had this joke about taking an improv class and I start the joke and I go, uh, so I was taking this improv class and someone from the back row just screamed, take it again. (laughs) (laughs) And it got the biggest laugh you've ever heard in your entire life. Like I've never written a joke that's gotten a crowd to laugh as hard as that guy's heckle. And I was just like, yeah, you got me, man. I don't know. You guys won Uh, this one. That one was rough. Um, Another time was I don't smoke weed and perform. I'm not like even much of a pothead. But one time I smoked and I got so stoned that I was like, I don't even think I can do this set. And I said to the host, I was like, hey, man, uh, give me 10 minutes. Don't give me more than 10 minutes. And they left me up there 20 minutes. I was bombing so bad at some point. I just looked at the audience and be like, hey, guys, I smoked weed on the roof. I'm really sorry about this. (laughs) Oh, God. Dude, that's the same thing. It's like booze or drugs or something, man you up and it will screw up your whole game man yeah that was the worst nightmare of my entire life it was just me hearing myself talk it was brutal oh Oh my god that sounds like i that's why i could never smoke and do the show or anything like that i care too much about it you know i can't even smoke and go make dinner because you'll eat it all yeah i know i have to get creative and i have to think like all of a sudden i'm like what am i doing in here where am i like (laughs) why am i looking at all these ingredients and yeah. once I get in the zone, have everything in front of me and have a decision, I can chop like a champ and cook, no problem. But I'd prefer not to. I have to do that at nighttime. Exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've done it. Yeah, you walk into a room like, why am I in here? I came in here for a reason. Uh, that was like our wedding. I had a couple of moments where I'm like, why did I come in the garage? Oh, yeah, to get more alcohol. Here's the thing, though, man. Like hecklers, is it really a problem in the comedic business? I mean, are they as, are they, are they kind of rare? You would think that they are. You just kind of see the videos of hecklers. But I, I've never really seen that many. Is it pretty common in with stand-up comedy? Yeah, so it, it really depends on the rooms you're playing. If you're playing the A-clubs, those places just have an environment and set the table where it's like, hey, we're, we're doing a show here. Mm-hmm. And then you don't see a lot of it. If people do act out, security kind of gets rid of them pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Or the crowd know on your side that that person's making a disturbance that it's pretty easy to handle. But if you work some of these B rooms or a lot of like just the bar shows that I do or some of like the late night, just, you know, one in the morning sets in Times Square, it can be like nothing but hecklers. Wow. Wow. That bad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people are people are drunk and sometimes the hosts get up there and they're really just kind of like hanging out and talking to the crowd. And then you get up and you want to do your act and the crowd's just like, what the hell is this? I thought we were just kind of yelling back. They're all wired up. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, man. 
That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a little bit beyond that. I kind of want to just work on it and tell my jokes, but there's something to be said for kind of getting up in front of the more hostile or chaotic crowds and figuring out how to win them over. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. You're making your bones and learning. And now that you're on a podcast, you'll get angry tweets or argumentative comments in the sections about things that they had a problem with. Do you have any of that issue now that you're doing a podcast? Oh, but you know what? I like, uh, I see all fan engagement as good engagement. Agreed. And sometimes the audience is kind of intelligent. So you got to kind of see past their language and that they're all online. So they'll just kind of put things in harsh terms. Yes. Some of it's nonsense. You can see that it's nonsense and then it's not worth, you know, giving any thought to. But sometimes I actually think people's, you know, feedback is fair or sometimes they'll, you know, even point us in the direction of literature that's counter to our point of view. And then I, that I kind of, that I enjoy. It's good feedback. Me too. Yeah. In fact, I always say, you know, Facebook sucks. We all know that. But Facebook comments are what made me get all the way to ANCAP. Like uh, the well laid out arguments and sometimes very brutal with each other. I didn't have to get in the fray and I learned a lot. So I take feedback and and listen to it. Sometimes just a word choice. So as long as you put your pride down and just pay attention and listen, we have a lot of poindexters in this movement. So they have a lot of things to say and and I think we should listen to it. I like that word. That's a good, that's a good, yeah, it's a good like adjective for these people. Poindexters. I mean, it's like, get a lot. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes they just need to get laid. (laughs) I think also kind of what's nice about stand up is you go up there every night and you get their reaction and then you can edit. You can go, Hey, this is the thing that's not working. It's not getting the reaction I want. So I almost see that with the podcast of people you know, I don't get that much fan engagement, but if I'm taking a lot of criticism for something, it probably is worth taking a look at. But on the same note, most of the feedback I get is pretty positive. And sometimes, like I said, people will point you in the way in like the actual literature that supports your point of view. Now, I'm, I'm really curious to hear what people were telling to you on Facebook that you were like, man, I really got to rethink my point of views here. Oh, you know, um, it was, uh, I've been on the path to total libertarianism without the internet for for years and years now, over a decade. And then Facebook, so about 10 years ago, I get on Facebook and I think age of consent was a big one that changed my mind. Uh, Abortion's always a really good argument. I finally came down on the side of no state. I hate the state, but I'm very pro-life personally. I understand the nuanced arguments. I've read all of the literature because it was, you know, quoted and talked about in the comments. I think that it just really pushed me over into the leap of faith it takes to be a total ANCAP, to understand that the state is always that they will always exploit, that even if there's good things that happen with the state in charge, well, yeah, you think they can't get anything done properly. There's nothing that ever happens that's good, even though they're like total, massively horrible. Right. It's a big deal. them. It'd be way better with free markets and all that. Yeah, that's that's the thing, though, too. You know, the state has done all these X, Y, and Z. Well, that is the scene, but what is the unseen? What could we have done without the state? We could have done so much more. And that's the fault of the way people think. And that's the thing. It's the unseen. And speaking of the unseen, how did being part of part of the problem actually, did it help your career in comedy? Has it helped you like be more successful? 
have you made more money since you started that podcast, Robbie? Part of the problem is, uh, I mean, it's a pretty big platform. And yeah, I mean, it's great for me because it uh, introduced me to a world of people I wouldn't otherwise have known. Sure. Dave and I are planning a tour pretty soon, which is going to be great because the podcast goes out to a pretty large audience. Um, mm-hmm. Have you guys ever done any live events? Um, I have. Yeah. I have at uh, Porkfest. I did a I did a live <laughs> I did this show live actually it was supposed to be episode one and uh, it, and it just didn't air as an episode but yes I've done it live and interacting with the audience it's a lot different than sitting in your studio I would love that I would love that so fun I would say to me the coolest part about it is we see a fictional large number of people. Every week when we look at the numbers, we're like, holy crap, there are a ton of people listening to this. But then when you actually go to Washington and 100 people show up and they were diehard fans and they know who you are, you're like, oh, those are real people. You can actually put a face to the number. Right. That's the biggest thrill of going out there and doing the live events. And uh, I'm hoping me and Dave can, you know, just keep putting together bigger and bigger tours and doing more live gigs because that's the funnest part to me. You guys are in Washington State. No, I did. Uh, hopefully we'll get out that far. No, I did a date with uh, Louis J. Gomez. He's uh, another one of the talents at Gas Digital Network Comedian. We did uh, the improv in Washington, D.C., but quite a few part of the problem fans came out, which was cool. Nice. Well, if you're ever in Washington State, let me know and I will I will come to see whatever you're doing. Absolutely. I would love it. Yeah. And also Arizona. So I'm in Arizona. <laughs> So, yeah, if you're out in Phoenix, man, there's a pretty big uh, libertarian movement in Phoenix and Washington. Isn't Dave debating Sarwark? Dude, yeah. that's going to be so good. What is that, when is that happening? Uh, it's not till September, but I think that's going to be uh, that's going to be vicious. That's going to be a good one. Get oh, your tickets. Wow. And where is this going to be at? In Phoenix, right? No, <laughs> that'd be fun. I'd, I'd like to go out there. Uh, it's in New York City. They do those debates with uh, Gene Epstein over at the Soho uh, Forum. Okay. Dave is debating, what's his name? Nick Sar. I never Sarwark. get his last Sarwark. I think the topic is, should the LP continue to put up candidates like uh, Gary Johnson and whoever that vice president Bill judge well. guy who was yeah. with him? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Dave is saying no, and uh, the other guy's saying yes, but they got some bad blood because that guy was even... Well, you know, trying to get Tom Woods. We know, we know, we know is. all about we it. Know. Man. Sarwark's been after anyone who likes the Mises Institute. Gone after Eric July and all this other. Everyone and it, hell, he's. I'm next. I'm next. I know it because I'm. You know, what's funny is I'm part of the LNC now. So now I'm like I'm in the lines. Then I'm in the lines. Then. All right, so we're going to play a quick game before we wrap up this segment. It's called Love Them or Hate Them. Are you ready to play, sir? <laughs> Great name, Johnny. He came up with this himself, guys. I did, just like five minutes before the show started. <laughs> and we're going to have some music here. Cue music. There we go. Love them or hate them. Are you ready to play? Oh, I'm down. Let's do it. All right. Brian Regan. Uh, ooh, I, be t- I'll hate him. Really? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Doug Stanhope. Love him. Absolute favorite. All right. Bill Hicks. Eh, hate him. <laughs> wow. Sam Kinison. Love him. Dane Cook. Hate him. Bill Burr. Love him. Yeah. Bill Cosby. <laughs> well, you know, I didn't like him, but that whole rape thing, he's got him back in my favor, so we'll go love him. <laughs> okay, cool. Cool. All right, Sarah Silverman. I uh, hate him. <laughs> you're, you're not far off there, buddy. I got it. Patton Oswalt. Uh, gonna go hate him. Stephen Wright. Mmm. I right, love him. 
Okay, Louis Black. Hate him. Amy Schumer. Hate, well, let's say her, hate her. Okay, and George Carlin. Hate him. There you go. Bam! And that was the very first ever. <laughs> yeah, you could say whatever you need. Any any uh, extrapolations? Well, I just want to say that I guess the options of love or hate are pretty polarizing. So, you know, we like take Bill Hicks, interesting influence, but his stand-up was always more angry than it was punchline-y. Mm-hmm. Similar thing with Carlin. I, I Like, I get there's influence there and he's one of the greatest ever, but right. like, are you guys Carlin fans? I, I think I he's a brilliant, he had brilliant things to say, but I, I know Carlin. what you mean about comedic timing yeah. and how much you're laughing at the show, right? As a pure stand-up, I, I'm just saying like, brilliance, interesting, but it's almost, to me, and I'm sure his catalog's too big that I just haven't seen everything, it's not like punchy funny to me, so. What about Gallagher, just for me? I, I would say hate him. Yeah, I gotta go with hate him. He was yeah. Really cool. yeah, he sucked. No. He's <laughs> Stupid. I liked Louis Anderson too. <laughs> no. I liked Louis back in the day. But really? you're gonna he's gonna say hate him. I know Robbie's gonna say He's not he's not my cup of tea, but that that one great joke that he opened up after uh who was it? It was after Dice on the Kinnison special. Do you uh-huh. know the right. joke I'm Which telling? one was it? The food? Yeah, he had that great opener, which was something along the um it, he had that great opening line which goes, Hey guys, I only have a couple minutes here. I'm between meals. <laughs> <laughs> right, and, right. And then the joke after that was, uh, "It's tough living out here in LA." I tried going to the beach the other day, and they started uh, put they, they started pushing back into the ocean, or <laughs> something yeah. like that. Yeah. Oh, he's good. I thought he was good. I don't know. Anyway, so make sure you check out Free Talk Live. It's America's fastest growing number one pro liberty radio program. Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live is on seven nights per week on 190 plus radio stations coast to coast and is pro liberty every issue every time. So check out freetalklive.com. Again, that's freetalklive.com. Anyway, so this is Johnny Rocket, always launching ideas. We got more questions for Robbie, and we'll be right back after this commercial break. Rock and roll. Listener, chances are some of you are business owners, entrepreneurs, or have a product that you're dying to bring to market. Well, there's something that you all have in common. You need a killer brand, website, and an all-around awesome design to stand out from your competition. Well, I have the solution for you. Invisible Hand Design. We've trusted them with Launchpad Media, Blast Off Branding, Liberty Force, and even my wife's presidential campaign website. They do not disappoint. Yeah, didn't they also do the branding for McAfee in 2016? Damn straight. So if your company's image could use a hand, go ahead and reach out to them. Right. They're even offering Blast Off listeners a 20% discount on their first project. Book your conversation with them at InvisibleHandDesign.com forward slash Blast Off. Oh, hell yeah. And we can even do one better. If you work with them, we'll feature the project all over our social media page to give you a launch and a little extra rocket fuel in your engine. Anyway, so that is InvisibleHandDesign.com forward slash Blastoff. Again, InvisibleHandDesign.com forward slash Blastoff. This is Johnny Rocket, always launching ideas in your direction. Well, 
Some rocket fire here. It's rocket fire. What we do here on Rocket Fire Service, I'm going to ask you a series of 10 questions. These questions will be politically related. And if you can answer these questions between 30 to 60 seconds, that'd be badass. Robbie, are you ready to play Rocket Fire? Rocket fire. Uh, it sounds intense. Can I just let me quick glass of water and I'm ready to go? All right, go, go for it. Sure, you don't want to smoke weed? Uh, no, 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 definitely don't need that. <laughs> okay, Ray. What happens when that happens? Yeah. He's gonna end up. In, he's gonna end up in the kitchen reading ingredients on cans. He's gonna say sorry, guys. I was on the roof. <laughs> exactly. All right, I'm good to go. All right, here we go. Question one: Tobacco use in the U.S. has dropped by half since 1970. This was accomplished without arresting a single tobacco user through public education and prevention, not criminal justice system. Why can't a similar public policy be instituted for heroin or crack cocaine, where we discourage its use by young people while allowing responsible adult use? Good question. I mean, to me, there's really no reason for the state to legislate what chemicals you do or don't want to ingest. I think some of the negative consequences of the fact that some chemicals are labeled as being okay while others aren't is people almost think, oh, this is safe. The government said it's okay. And I think that's why right. you see as much drinking as you do or even McDonald's consumption as you do is that to some extent people think, hey, the government said this is okay. It's not that bad for me. So yeah. Firstly, also, if you want to do heroin, that's your choice. And if that same as smoking, same as anything, there are built-in consequences for doing so. If anything, I guess the stuff that would be available would probably be a little bit cleaner and worse for your health. And if you just see all the abuse that's going on with, you know, the pills, the fentanyl, the blank and the blanks, what the hell does it matter? I'd rather there be a clean store on the corner and yeah, make the education available. Idiots will be idiots. And that's the end of it. Exactly. Just because something's illegal doesn't mean people are going to stop doing it. All right. Question two. What do you think is the difference between politics and political science? Yeah. So, I mean, political science is the actual theory of what would be good applications, like good application of ideas and politics. Politics can completely ignore what might be good economics or what might be the best way to govern just in the pursuit of power. Okay. Those are just two different things. Political science is, to me, it's the theory of what would make for good governance. And then politics are the people who are trying to be in power and control resources. They're just, you know, different things. Rock and roll. Question three. Do you think public policy should reflect the opinions of the public? And that's kind of a trick question. Yeah, that one's so tricky because the problem is the opinions of the public can very much so be, you know, hey, give me some free stuff. Hey, I want my free health care. Uh, there shouldn't be a concept of public policy. If there is public policy and you have people who are making decisions for the public, it needs to reflect their opinions. That's a, the, the only chance of at least if there is government, I guess you want it to be representative government as much as possible. So the answer is yes. Okay. Question four. Do you believe the women who actually said they had secret affairs with Trump? Um, because he. I don't even. Were, were those like the the pre campaign allegations I, of people? Who I, said, I, I, it's still going on. There's there's a Nick, a new chick every week. Like, oh yeah, Trump had sex with me. Is it? I don't who know. Cares? I mean, the idea that there are people out there who had sex with Donald Trump or affairs, like hell yeah, I hope you know that, that, <laughs> that's that's who he is. Um, I'm gonna guess that most of the people coming forward are just looking. You know, I don't know. They're, they're looking to be in the news. Who really wants to admit to exactly? That's not a win. Exactly. Exactly. Question five. 
How do you see faith-based organizations and private organizations working to help fight extreme poverty? And how do you think citizens can play a role? So I, I think all of these things can definitely be accomplished by private individuals. I think your faith-based organizations are better because they do a better job of bringing people together under the idea of, hey, let's go do good things. Like when I was involved with synagogue, we used to do, like we had like charitable trips. Like people would put together things like volunteer days. Outside of being affiliated with the synagogue, I can't tell you the last time I went out and did nice things for people. I should probably do more of it. But mm -hmm. so the answer is we don't need the state for charity. You make money. I think that you could do a better job of, you know, go give it to people. If that's what you want to do with it or get together with others who could figure out good ways to, you know, give resources to the people who need it. And I think churches and, you know, any private group are great at it. I don't really see too many in my life. I haven't seen too many just pure private groups who are that good at that. What, what do you guys think on that one? I think churches are pretty good at it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Churches are the best. I think the best way to do it. And like Donor C, Grant Clyer has a, a program called Donor C where you can actually see your donations working in real time. Like, hey, I donated $20 to this person. And next thing you know, there's a video on YouTube of that person getting that thing that he wanted or he or she wanted to help their lives out, you know, and I think it's great. So I think, uh, again, the free market and church-based or faith-based organizations are the way to go. Question six. What are the probable reasons for the disenchantment which has come to characterize political participation? So basically, why are people not involved in politics? Yeah, because it's so far removed from that you can actually accomplish anything. I think most of us are just, you know, am I allowed to curse on this? Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. I think most people are like, fuck that. What is my vote really going to do? I think the only reason people don't participate is because, you know, they just want to get about their lives, live a good life. And they don't really see that, you know, getting involved in politics is actually going to help you know, do anything. So what the hell's the point of getting involved? And to be honest, I, I kind of go make your money. I'm a big fan of that concept. It's like go maximize your skill set, live the best possible life that you can. If you don't want to follow what's going on in government and vote, I don't really care. Right on. Right on, man. Question seven. Is voting aggression? Uh, that's, yeah, another tough one. I like these questions, man. You really make me think. Of Rock and roll. Rock and roll. So, I mean, it can be. If 51% of the population gets together and votes to take the resources, the other 49%, that's aggression. I mean, if you're going to be technical here, the answer is it depends on if, you know, 10 people opt into being within an organization where everyone gets a vote, even if it's extracted, then the answer is no. Everyone's kind of volunteered to exist within that group. The current system, I would say yes. So I, I, under the current system, yes, and it can be, but it's really up to the structure that you put in place. Rock and roll, man. Question eight. Do comments matter? Online discussions, how do they affect people's political participation? We were just kind of talking about being on Facebook and Raylene learned all about libertarian or ANCAP stuff. But I mean, do you really think it really does matter to the average person? You know, when you sit there and you see those guys, you're right, like paragraphs under another comment, under another comment. Do you think by people reading those, it does make a difference in people's lives where they start thinking of things differently and maybe even join our crusade in liberty? Yeah, I'm going to go with yes. And part of that is I actually like really mean people. Mm -hmm. So I see through the entire internet discourse in terms of the language people use that it's all kind of written in a mean way. And I'm going to say yes, because I think even I think if you get overwhelmed with counterpoint of views, I think you do kind of take the time to take a look at it and you might start questioning really what your philosophies are. Right. And I also think that there's two sides to this. One is the internet can be more polarizing 
and that there's the feedback loop of that you can do endless research about what your point of view is and then think like even if, let's just say as a theoretical you're a white nationalist and you've just tomorrow decided hey i hate jews and blacks mm-hmm. you can probably find more information online about that point of view and communities that share that point of view that you can actually think hey this is really big there are a lot of people this is very normal And so in that way, the internet's kind of a negative because you can really take fringe point of views. Like we're doing this as libertarians. And so we're able to kind of just exist in our communities and I can read endless amount of literature only on our point of view. So in that regard, it's not really helping to change decisions. Right. But I do, if you're willing to engage with other people and read the comments, sometimes people have intelligent things to say. And I definitely do think that that has an effect. Right on, man. Question nine. What is the difference among political activism and political participation? See, I don't even know the answer to this one. This is a tough one. Yeah, I mean, political participation just means you're showing up to vote. Like, that could be the absolute minimum. (laughs) Right. Political activism means you actually care about something and you're showing up. So I'm going to say that's the difference between the two. And for the most part, I'm going to say activists, you're annoying. So just participate. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) don't show up to marches. You're just, you're, you're being annoying. Stay home. Right on. All right. Question 10. <laughs> Do you think urban people are typically more supportive of gender equality? Yeah, I'm just going to go with no. I, I mean, ooh, putting me in a tough one here, but. Uh, That's a tough one. That's a tough one. I'm going to say that, like, people without power or minorities are probably more interested in kind of socialized government and they're probably more interested in the ideas of equality. However, um, when you say urban, what do you mean? I don't know. The brothers. Uh, you, oh, can, okay. you can say the brothers or you could say uh, the people of Spanish descent. I mean, uh, OK, I, I live in New York City and I have a lot of black friends. And I'm just going to say that their relationships with women and it could just be their sense of humor seems to be a little bit more misogynistic. Okay. Now, I'm not attacking black people for having that point of view, nor am I saying that that's every black person cross board. But that is right. a flavor that I get. So while I would say urban people are probably more interested in the idea of equality as a value than, you know, a white Republican. Specifically, I don't think they're taking up the cause of feminism or women's liberty sooner than they're just going to go with the general idea of let's have more equality. Right on. They're just doing whatever the Democratic Party says. All right. Question 11. What is the best Wi-Fi name you've ever seen? Come on. Uh, Dude, I mean, I don't know. It's like these coffee shots. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, I've seen some good ones. I really can't, like, my, my brain's not that observant. Like, I can't remember, you know, like, I'll sift out information. Like, if I'm in Starbucks looking for the Wi-Fi, I'm just looking for that one and kind of ignoring what's there. I, I, I'm sorry, I don't have a good answer. I mean, I could start making up some names, but I, I can't. Okay. I think you should just make up a name. You like, could. Just do that right now, because <laughs> I'm the same anything. way as you, by the way. You could say anything, really. <laughs> I mean, Christ. I, I'm curious, when you guys thought of that question, what are some... FBI surveillance is one I've seen. That's the big one. Yeah, FBI surveillance. Oh, that's that's like the only yeah, one. Yeah, I've seen I, other ones with like NSA and stuff yeah, like that. NSA. I've seen those, but I always forget to read them and I move. I'm too efficient. I'm doing other things. Yeah, they're pretty good. Some of these are pretty good. Oh, yeah. And here's another bonus question. Kind of fun. Think about it for a second. What color is money? I, I mean, I just affiliate money with green. Okay. Even those greens. Okay, cool. Rock and roll. And that's Rock and Fire. Give it up for Robbie Bernstein. Okay, anyways, this is Johnny Rocket. We're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. Rock and roll. Are you tired of banging your head against the proverbial wall of politics and getting nowhere toward actually making your life more free? Are you tired of interview podcasts that have the same guests as every other libertarian interview podcast out there? 
Are you tired of hearing the same news stories that you can hear on the mainstream media? Then you need to listen to The Lava Flow, where we don't do politics and we don't do the major stories that exist only to divide you. We talk about news that affects you and your freedom, and we work to find solutions that can actually help you to be more free. LAVA stands for Libertarian, Anarcho-Capitalist, Voluntarist, and Agorist. And if you consider yourself to be in any of those categories, all of those categories, or just interested in learning about them, then the Lava Flow podcast is for you. Check us out at thelavaflow.com. The Lava Flow podcast, channeling the flow of information to the Libertarian, Anarcho-Capitalist, Voluntarist, and Agorist community. Thelavaflow.com. This is Chris Spangle, and I am the host of We Are Libertarians, which you can find in iTunes, Google Play, or at wearelibertarians.com. We are a podcast that brings you all of the irreverence that modern politics deserves by examining current events from a libertarian perspective. So please, check us out at wearelibertarians.com. It's time to shake up your podcast feed, folks, by subscribing to Lions of Liberty, the only libertarian variety show out there. Spend Mondays with me, Mark Clare, as I feature in-depth interviews with great names in the libertarian community and fun roundtable discussions. Electric Liberty Land with me, Brian McWilliams, every Wednesday, your weekly dose of comedy, culture, and liberty. And Felony Fridays with me, John Odermatt, where I expose injustice in the broken criminal justice system. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and at lionsofliberty.com. Ground control to Johnny Rocket. Ground control to Johnny Rocket. Well, the other day I was throwing a few down. I was drinking Moosehead Lager, a Canadian beer, 5% alcohol, nice flavor. Only been able to find it in bottles. So I've been buying this beer once a month or so for a while now. Well, it wasn't until I was popping my fourth, or was it my fifth, that I saw this tiny little font on the side of the damn bottle that really pissed me off. Union made. My heart sank. I'm a free market guy. I can't be getting excited about union made beer. Don't get me wrong. I don't get made by as long as it tastes good. A union, a corporation, Alexander Meyer in his garage. That's not the issue. My issue is that they had to print it on the bottle. They had to be so damn proud of it. Well, now my Austro-Libertarianism starts to kick in, and immediately my mind is triggered to visions of Marxism and entitled Lazy, unskilled workers jumping people in parking lots just for trying to go to work to support their families. Those people. Now, I'm all for voluntary unions, obviously. I'm for all kinds of voluntary But when it says union made on the side of the bottle, we all know what kind of union they're talking about. And I just can't enjoy a beer like that, no matter how good it tastes. Okay, yeah, I'll probably finish this case, I admit. Yeah, I might even finish it tonight. But after tonight, Moosehead, I'm done with you union-made bastards. I know you got a big old rocket, yeah, you got a big chopper and a hot day. You 
so much for being here dude it's awesome this is pretty cool and it's good to have a comedian on the show because oh, I love it. i'm tired of being funny all the time i'm tired right. of being funny all the time so i i'm like relinquishing my humor he's to you exhausted he's been working so hard at it you guys it's so funny we have a new segment i don't know if anyone's heard it yet we came up with this idea and it's called hey ray and it's oh, just yeah. johnny Doing dad jokes, oh, so yeah. you might have heard it on the last show that we released, but uh, it, they'll be peppered in. It's pretty fun. Oh. This guy loves a dad joke. It's, I'll it's tell you uh, what. actually a little embarrassing, but it, it's gone past the point of being embarrassing and just really, really funny again. But here's the so thing. that's where we're at with it. Ray, they're so bad. I mean, here's the thing: dad jokes are so bad that they're yeah. funny. See, I I like them. Robbie, What's what do you Robbie think? Of, think? Yeah. I I want to know what Robbie thinks. Robbie, about what do you dad think jokes. of? Dad jokes. I like a corny joke. And especially if you're going to, you know, really commit to the bit and just keep going for it. <laughs> I, I like it. It gets better and better, doesn't it? Like, you know how a joke becomes unfunny because you've already, it's done. And then you just keep bringing it back until it becomes very funny. Again, right. It turns that wheel where it becomes oh, so yeah. annoying you cannot laugh at it. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's so good when people can play with humor and take something, beat it into the ground, make it not funny, and then it comes back and it just keeps getting funnier and funnier. And now we're all crying. Yeah. Like, I love that. I enjoy it. I have a question for you. It's a good one. Because I've been waiting in the whole show, so it's good for me. Okay, so you know the show Drunk History? Yes. Yeah, okay. So for the listeners, it's a, it's a show where they get comedians ripped and uh, drunk, and then they bring them back to like a hotel or an apartment, and then they are doing an interview where they explain a historical story, and then they do voiceovers. It's freaking hilarious. So what historical tale would you weave while imbibing if you were to do the show? Oh man, I would love, I'd have to reread The Creature from Jekyll Island, but I would yeah. love to talk about the creation of the, you know, the Federal Reserve. Oh, that would be good. I, okay, I knew you were going to say the Federal Reserve because I have noted that you have been, you've made a video on it. You've done uh, here and there. I'm so glad I was right. I just want everyone to know I was psychic, even though I can't prove it. <laughs> yeah. So um, what would you make sure to include? What, what are the big talking points just for our listeners? Yeah, I mean, all right, to be honest, I'd have to go back and do my homework. But the most interesting talking point is just the fact that it's just called the Federal Reserve. That's just a name. Mm -hmm. It's not actually by the government. It's owned by bankers. And in whatever way I think you can share the story of the fact that there are private bankers out there that are controlling the money supply. And uh, Johnny, you were talking about all the unseens. So all the unseen expansion, you know, economic growth we would have had with free interest rates and good capital and, you know, money actually going towards good investments and savings. Right. It's really the old story of how we're being robbed of our wealth. And uh, I think if you can actually tell the story of the creation of it, because it didn't always exist. That's right. 1913. Yes. It's kind of a new thing, really, in our American history, Robbie. And there's actually, there, there's two of them because there was the first, I don't know my dates here. There yeah, you're right. One. There was the first bank of the United States and then there was the second and then I think there was the Federal Reserve. Yeah. And I think Madison was the one who really opposed it, called it like the, there was like that drawing of the, he called it like the multi-headed monster yes, or something. Yes. Yes. So, and it was Hamilton who, you know, because the, there's a play about Hamilton and Hamilton is, he was the one who yeah. pushed that agenda. That's the funny part about this, uh, 
how much everyone loves Hamilton is if you really look at the history of our country and what the creation of the Fed has done, like the fact that he's being praised for it, it's because they love socialism and the fact that government's taking control of industry. That's right. But I think if you get that story out there, the fact that it didn't always exist, there were some big people that opposed it for good reasons, how it kind of robs of our, of our wealth. I think it's like a pretty... Then they all died on the Titanic. Yeah. It's, okay. it's a mysterious story. Yeah. So that to me would be a fascinating thing to tell. And there's definitely humor in there of just how nefarious the bankers are in terms of their intentions and selling the public on it. Right on. I love that. I'm with you, man. Okay, so here's the thing, Robbie. Did you come from the left or the right? And now you're in New York, and I'm assuming most New Yorkers are from the left. Yeah. But you think it's harder for people on the left to uh, adopt the ideas of libertarianism and free markets than, like, let's say, a a conservative right person? I'm not saying Republican. To say a, le- a liberal or a conservative, you think it's easier for people on the conservative side to maybe find the the path of liberty a lot more. You know, maybe they don't need as much lube when they're getting <laughs> with the ideas. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I would say I started off as a New York Democrat, which is definitely that. Hey, let's be physically conservative, but when it comes to my social life, you know, right. I don't need government for any of that. I think that that was kind of pretty standard of Connecticut, New York Jews. Um, but like even my parents and grandparents who were longtime Democrats are just not anymore. Like that's not, you know, they were fans like the, the Joe Lieberman type characters who are okay. now thrown out of the party. In terms of who's easier to convert, I think at least your conservatives, a lot of them still have that fiscal conservative like feeling to them. Right. And I think actually being more oppressed by the left now, like if you were pro-life, your argument has kind of shifted more to, hey, let's at least just not have government paying for this. And that's a more yeah. libertarian attitude. Right. So here's the only real jump that people on the right have to take is you just have to walk away from, hey, I think we need to have a strong military, which I don't think is that tough of a sale anymore. I don't think people are really buying into the fact that we have to spend massive amount of money or intervene in these foreign wars that are doing nothing for us. I'm with you. That's one I'm of the big you. ideologies yeah. you got to walk away from. The only other one you really got to walk away from is kind of the strict justice drug law reforms. And I don't really know, I don't interact with too many Christian conservative that those two values are really important to them. So there isn't that much that you have to sell conservatives on for them to turn around and go, hey, this libertarian thing makes more sense to me. Right on. So since we're doing this whole show about comedy and and being a libertarian in the comedian world, Obviously, most politicians don't come forward and say they're part of a party or specifically call them, label themselves, which is just smart. I understand why. What maybe top five comedians do you think could be anarchists if they aren't already? Who do you think would be the easily converted or, or even, and they could be wildly leftist or righty on stage? Who do you think has a libertarian feel to them or, or anarchists? Besides Doug Stanhope. Yeah, that's uh, that man. That's an interesting question. You know who I'd most like to see switch? I know that this isn't really. I'd love to see somebody get like the creature of Jekyll Island or one of Stockman's books uh-huh. to yeah. uh, Adam McKay. If you guys don't know who that is, he was the uh, writer and director of Step Brothers, Talladega Nights, like okay. all those. Oh, yeah, 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 good stuff. But then he also did the Big Short, and then he just did that movie on Dick Cheney. Now, what's interesting? Did you guys see the Big Short? I did. Uh, yeah, it was great. It was okay. But here's the thing. They showed only half of the story, like how the banks. That was my only problem with the movie. I thought it was good, but they left out the whole part of the government, the government. They just made the banks look bad, but the state had nothing to do with it. Right. I agree with you that that's the problem with that guy. 
But I wonder if it's just that nobody's handed him the right literature because based on what he did with the big short, it does lend to me the fact that he has a pretty good understanding of finances and the way that some of this stuff works. Right. So I look at him, I'm like, oh, that's a guy who's smart enough that I think if I was in a room with him for an hour, I could convince him of this. The other one, Nick DiPaolo, really funny con- comedian, um, but he's more conservative than he is libertarian. I think that's a pretty easy conversion. Um Joe Rogan doesn't really identify as libertarian, but I think he's thoughtful enough. You could probably get him to be 100%. Um, I'm trying to think who are some other like really big comics. Bill Burr, I feel, is on the edge too. Oh, yeah, yeah. Bill Burr, I think you could convert him real easily. He wanted to get gold coins and wanted to buy a gun. I feel like he's he's close. I I think Bill Burr is, I I would like to see him in our movement. I mean, that would be a lot of power too. If we had him on our movement, oh, yeah, dude. It'd be great. And here's the thing, though. We're talking about comedy. Now, why is it so important that we have... See, what we talk about here on the show all the time is changing culture. And if we don't change culture, we're never going to change policy, ever. Because people are not going to vote that way. People are not going to be, you know, voting no for, should this government program exist? No. No. And this is why I think that the left or the Democrats have been so successful in the past is that they have Hollywood on their side, they have the comedians on their side, on the side, they have musicians on their side, they have all the entertainments on their side. And again, the right is over there creating the movie like what was what it? Left Behind. I mean, who the watches that movie? No one does. So this is what I'm I getting at. Call that the right? That was like just a guy that was on a show called Growing Pains. I, mean, I know, it's a little but different. it was. It, I, I know. But. And not only that, but I mean, so basically, you're saying that people like. Dave and and Robbie are are the people we need. They're the, they're our great white hope. Okay, the great white hope. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> but like, what I'm getting at is the problem with the right is is that they're trying to you know they're trying to put the religion into the movies and stuff like that. What I'm saying is we need to make liberty fun and we need to make people laugh. And if they're laughing, it's so much easier to sell the message of liberty to them after they get a chuckle. You know what I mean? And I think it's a great gateway. The entertainment realm is a great gateway for these people like you, Robbie. And Dave to get out there and start talking to people, make them laugh, and when their guard is down, them with some Rothbardian awesome. You know what I'm saying, dude? I mean, that, that's what it's about. Absolutely, I, I think uh, you got to be entertaining. If you're not going to be entertaining, people aren't going to listen or pay attention. Donald Trump is the biggest truth to that. Obviously, not the most knowledgeable politician, but he's the most entertaining, and that's why people voted for him. So. The only way you're going to get people to pay attention or to listen is by being entertaining. And uh, if you can hit them with some liberty ideas while you're doing it, then yes, I think that absolutely is the best path forward. Rock and roll. Hey, Raylene, prepare for landing. Ooh, roger that, Johnny. Seatbelts and shoulder harnesses. Your body, your choice. Landing gear and downward expanders. NEP initiated. Anti-state superchargers. Defragged and woke. Landing lights and guest websites. Robbie Bernstein, give us your dot com, sir. Guys, you can follow me on Twitter, Robbie the Fire on Twitter. I put out my own podcast called the Run Your Mouth Podcast, where you can catch me every uh, Tuesdays and Saturdays with Dave Smith on the Part of the Problem Podcast. And you can download those wherever you like podcasts. Awesome, dude. Robbie, thank you so much. And if you wouldn't mind spending maybe another 20 minutes with us, we have, what do we have going on, Raylene? Because you're the one who loves talking about what we do next. Well, if you go to supportblastoff.com and subscribe, then you can hear us put him on blast with listener questions. Oh, so much fun. Right on. Yeah. So what we do is, yeah, for a dollar an episode, you can hear more of this conversation with Mr. Robbie Bernstein from Part of the Problem here on Blast Off. So again, 
This is Johnny Rocket, always launching ideas. And again, it's supportblastoff.com. We'll see you next week. Rock and roll.